Welcome to Not Enough Champagne, a podcast that thinks that being blamed for a lack of recent output is completely and utterly wrong. My name is Corey Hazelhurst. I'm a parliament propaganda with Steve Haynes. Hi, Corey. So we're back, listeners, partly because in the next 18 months, there's going to be apparently a general election. And Whoa. try and curb your enthusiasm, Steve. It's even an election that Labour has a chance of winning. Of course, that reference to being completely and utterly wrong is a reference to Rishi Sunak, who, incredibly, Steve, is still the Prime Minister. Yeah, although apparently uh, letters have started to gently waft their way into the year 1922, apparently. You are joking, right? Well, so has been briefed to various people, I think, at like the Telegraph and things like that. But let's be real, it's probably like Jacob Rees-Mogg and Jacob Rees-Mogg's left hand that have sent him their... Uh, that's sent in their letters and that's about it. I suppose now Nadine Doris has officially stood down, her letter is rescinded too. So, and Andrew Brisson's yeah. longer an MP. So, and Chris Pincher, I believe, has stood down as well. He's so. resigned today. Uh, yeah. yeah. Your your humble Labour doorstepper was in, hashtag, uh, in, in, in Tamworth for the hashtag great response that we had this <laughs> evening. And a year ago this week, Liz Truss was Prime Minister. Seems so long ago. <laughs> It does, doesn't it? And yet, and yet, such a blur. So, after what a pretty quiet summer, Parliament's only been back four days, and so much ha- seems to, like it's happened already. So, what we're going to do is talk about that and how, in a way, what's already happened over the past four days is going to shape the battle in the general election over the next 12 to 18 months. Now, I don't know, Steve, why people are complaining that we didn't produce any episodes, because quite frankly, I think we did a bloody good job, a real bloody good job there, while loads of other political podcasts, if I'm honest, I'm not going to name them, obviously, but they just sat on their asses and did absolutely nothing. You realise this is being recorded, right? It's not being... It's it's a hot mic, Corey. It's a hot mic. It's a hot mic. No such thing as a hot mic, Steve. We we (laughs) finished doing the intro... As soon as it finishes, they can't broadcast this. That's how I'm a professional politician. That's exactly how it works. three things that we agree that we talk about we've got Rishi Sunak trying to differentiate himself from Boris Johnson failing we've got the problems of 13 years of tourist mismanagement coming home to roost and we also have here Starmer doing a lot of things but not really saying what he's going to do and I'm a bit confused because these are probably the three things we were going to talk about three months ago are you sure these are the same things that we're going to talk about today I mean, let me let me just check my check the notes and uh, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. When we were, yeah, the last kind of like conversations we had, we were covering those those those, those points months ago as it as it was. So yeah, nothing nothing much has really changed over the past three to, to six months, really, has it? It's complete Groundhog Day. Um, yeah. On the other hand, so Rishi Sunak, obviously his his pitch as Prime Minister was uh, gross technocracy and integrity and laser-focused competence. 
And maybe you could say, actually, that did happen in the summer because the Conservatives had a crime week in which no Conservative had committed a crime by the end of it. Yeah. And to actually be um, fair, I think it's probably the best way to put it too, Rishi Sunak, I, I know, like there have been like some uh, successes in terms of like foreign policy related bits and pieces. Like it's been announced that we're rejoining the uh, Horizons deal with the, in, in the EU. Shouldn't have left it to begin with, but with re- re- rejoining that, like Sunak is actually doing little things on that front that actually are, you know, an improvement. Unfortunately, Im- he's literally doing it whilst parts of Britain crumble away around underneath him. But yes, so what 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 do you want to talk about first? I, I think let's talk about the problems because I think the problems then kind of feed into. Sunak's failed attempts to differentiate from Johnson. Perfect. So what's your favourite problem this week? We've got uh, councils going bust, we've got schools in concrete, or concrete in schools, probably more technically, or we've got escaped prisoners. uh, Let's start I mean, let's do the uh, let's do the quick one first, just to get it out of the way. The escaped prisoners. Um, we've had a, a, a what was it? A terrorist who has escaped Wandsworth Prison. Mm. Um, been appreh- has now been apprehended after the escape of this individual from Wandsworth Prison, uh, and his now apparent reapprehension. Um, a number of talking heads from within, like the prison service and things like that. Uh, including people from Wandsworth that kind of emerged and basically started going, yeah, no, this was bound to happen eventually. We just don't actually have the staff available to even kind of like do with most of the, uh, to actually manage all of the shifts that we need to happen. So yeah, this like sooner or later, something like this was bound to happen. Um, so that is in many ways, like the, 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 the thing where there's probably less to talk about because it's just one, it's just a very quick, almost like headline kind of thing that's just happened. But it is very important in that, quite literally, the Tories, the party that likes to position themselves as like tough on crime, um, can't even keep terrorists locked up because they've managed to cut budgets so, so much that they're now in case that, that, that prisons can't even staff themselves effectively. Like there is not that much more to say about it other than other than that, um, it's just this is 13 years of government cuts just finally having a really noticeable headline effect. So it's government cuts, it's demoralised staff, it's a number of reports on Wandsworth Prison that have tried to blow the whistle on the appalling conditions that have been happening there and hasn't happened. And as, yeah, it's just a, it's a massive consequence of austerity. Uh, that that we're seeing now that the Tories won in 2015 essentially because the consequences of austerity weren't being faced by enough people then and the Tories could build an electoral coalition and even the people who are not necessarily affected by austerity and even the cost of living crisis are noticing the absolute chaos like that 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 narrative of uh, of austerity being the driving force behind these things is, is getting more and more examples of it actually being the case. So to, to pivot slightly to one of the other issues, which is the RAAC concrete, aerated concrete, um, which is which was used in a, in a number of buildings. Primarily, we've been talking about schools um, in uh, as the political discussion at the moment, but it's being investigated currently as to whether or not it was used in hospitals and other public buildings and all, all, all kinds of places. Um, 
So on the school front, uh, when he was Chancellor of the Exchequer, a request for uh, money to actually fix these schools came across uh, Rishi Sunak's desk about two, three years ago, something like that. I can't, I can't remember the exact 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 time frame. Um, and basically, he uh, they asked for something like, "Oh, we want to be able to fix two of the uh, two hundred of these a year." Um, and it got cut down to originally to like a hundred a year, and then down to fifty a year, which quite literally Rishi Sunak was personally responsible for making that choice. Now, it this is one of those things where budgets are always going to be a a, a competition between different priorities. Like that, that is just the nature of it. That is even more so the case when you uh, have an austerity regime in, in, in place and there is limited funding and resources available. Doubly so when, for some reason, the Conservatives refuse to invest in any capital expenditure at the same time, um, even though capital expenditure should be treated different to day-to-day management, but they, they have not learned that economic lesson. Um, so, like, soon next... Well, Sunex had two defences seemingly kind of that have been briefed out. One was, well, this was about the priorities of the at, at, at the time, uh, and so the money went to other things, which isn't a great great defence in and of itself. When um, you have schools which are meant to have opened and now can't, and, uh, and until they basically bring in porter cabins to teach all the kids in, which is apparently a trend after good Tory, uh, Tory uh, governments is, is school kids end up being taught in porter cabins. Um, the other line of defence he put came out was absolutely farcical because they tried to basically spin it as, no, 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 no. It wasn't, we didn't find the funding for like 50 a year. We found the funding to, to, to fix 500 of them over 10 years. They don't even think we can do basic uh, basic division now. That's yeah. why teaching maths was a priority, obviously, for resisting that. The aerated concrete scandal is, I, I, I suspect, going to become very emblematic of the failures of the the Tory uh, leadership since, since really since twenty ten. Um, it's obviously taken some very stark dives between then and and now in terms of quality, because like let's let's. Let's be real. Oh, for the days of David Cameron and the coalition, like things could have, things turned out could have been so much worse. Uh, this issue in particular is, as I say, probably going to be quite emblematic because it just has so many features which are just going to can just be run and run and run. Already pointed out, Sunak personally took a decision on it. It's literally on his doorstep, on his desk. His signature is on that decision. It's going to have a, a, a number of um, pictures of kids um, sat in, you know, quite crappy conditions um, whilst, be, whilst being taught inside, you know, basically um, storage containers and portal cabins that have been, that have been slept in. Um, it's going to have a continuing expansion as we still don't know how many things have actually properly been affected by this. And that number is going to grow and grow and grow. And it's going to go potentially beyond just schools. It's going to hit hospitals. It's going to hit government buildings and other areas as well. And we're going to find ourselves with some drastic, ridiculous headlines of like maternity ward in, in danger of collapse. Like, Yeah. So at 
big picture strategically as a metaphor, it is terrible. Um, terrible headlines. It, the attack lines also write themselves. And also pretty similar to the issue in the summer where the government decided they were going to close all the ticket offices. Um, it's just a way of local MPs having a local issue that they can hit again and again. So in mm -hmm. the same way that every single MP, including it seems every Tory MP, including like transport ministers, had their little local MPs to save their own ticket office. Every local MP is going to be bang on top of this issue. Yeah. And we'll Absolutely. just keep it going on social media and local media as well as national media. It's all and um, so in, it, and the fact that you can link it to one of the first things that Michael Gove, you know Michael Gove, one of, the, one of the first things he did when he was Secretary of State for Education was cut the Building Schools for the Future program. There's a direct link there, and when you've got people trying to defend it, saying, "Well, there's only an overlap of thirteen schools," and, oh, come on, really. And and Rishi Sunak, whenever he's asked about it, just seems like it, like in a lot of uh, occasions, he just seems really annoyed that you've tried to ask the question of him. Like really annoyed you've tried to challenge this his great achievements. Don't you know how great he is? And why are you asking yeah. him about the schools that are crumbling and you're not asking about his new shiny policy on Horizon or something? Yeah, and then at the same time as that, they're then completely botching their comms on it as well, which is another reason why this continues to kind of like run as a story, is that every single time they, they bring somebody out, they come up with a corker of a line. But I think, I think again, it was Keegan uh, comes out and said, well, actually, well, most schools aren't affected. It was a big graphic the Department yeah. of Education did. Yeah, it's like most schools are unaffected. It's just like that's... A very vague statement doesn't provide actually any meaningful, um, like, what's the word I'm looking for? Meaningful, like, um, relief to parents who are concerned about what, what's happening with their, their kids' schools and, and things like that. Um, and it just doesn't work as a message at all because it's so unspecific. Because as the Labour Party then did in, in, in response, they tweeted out uh, an, an adaptation of the very same uh, graphic, where it's, uh, which basically said, most swimmers not eaten by a shark, and with, a, with like individual talking about the film Jaws. Well, like, it's, the it, it, it's the complacency of it. And it actually, it, it links back to the Keegan's bloody good job thing, that we did such a good job in satirising, is the you have... You have to show that you care and you have to show that you are on it. But at least you have to pretend that you care. Yeah. And, and not even bothering to do that. Um, yeah, it's it's absolutely absolutely mental in many, many ways. Um, I'm sure we've said it before, but we really are at the absolute dregs of, of the Conservative Party now. It's a, it's like, a dying government. Yeah, it doesn't have a plan. It doesn't have the political capital to do anything. It doesn't have the intellectual bandwidth to do anything. Um, we can maybe even talk about it's say, even in even in the context of like dying governments, though this one is poor by any other standards. No, like, massively, yeah. Like, it, yeah. Like you could normally yeah. point. You could normally point to any like if you were to take like any other any other government, whether it be Labour, Dem, oh, sorry, Labour, Liberal, 
Tory, like whatever from from history, you would be able to look at it and go, that person is probably like a mover and shaker moving forward, like 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 in in terms of things, like um, doesn't always necessarily work out like that. Um, but you can go. That's the ta- these are the people who have got the talent and will probably form like the core of like whatever the, either the next leadership or the next government or whatever. You can't do that with the Tories. Like you can kind of say, well, Suella Braverman will clearly put herself forward. I mean, bad knock, but bad knock, and maybe James Cleverly, maybe. But like that's about it, and that's not enough. Yeah. And and just quickly, we should mention the obscure Birmingham reference that actually became not very obscure yeah. uh, when it led all the news bulletins. And actually, uh, the the section one one four notice and the effective bankruptcy order that's also a consequence of the fact that if eighty percent of the council's revenue or ninety percent comes from central government funding and two thirds of that is cut over thirteen years, which equates to about two thirds, three quarters of a billion quid. Council like councils are struggling all over the place, both yeah. Labour and Conservative and Lib Dem, to keep basic services running. Yeah, it's 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 really uh, important to point out from this uh, this that it's not just a oh this is a, a profligate Labour council. It's 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 not at all because Thurrock Tory run has had a section uh, an S one one four put in place. Right, Croydon similarly. There are other councils which are going through the exact same kind of like equal pay disputes and, and things like that uh, uh, at the same time. Last year as well had an equal pay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That there's there's just so like like Birmingham is just basically the biggest example of of this, um, uh, literally because it is the, the second biggest city in in the UK uh, and budget wise as Birmingham a is a big council and for further evidence I can give you the 8,000 word essay I can yeah. read on the <laughs> political geography of Birmingham that no one wants to hear but um, but yeah and as, as, as a result of that and being really the, the, the I don't like to use this term but like it's probably the, the, the best way I can put it very very quickly it's like the most important place um, that's kind of been hit by, by these sorts of sorts of things um you end up with it being a lot more get, getting a lot more attention which is to be expected and like in, in many ways correct um when your second city ends up in this sort of situation it is newsworthy and it should be reported on and analysis should be done as to how we got here and what went wrong the problem is what went wrong is 13 years of government austerity and cuts and and like a decision somewhere back in time of which caused an equal pay issue, which I don't even know what that is anymore. Like, uh, I think it was related to some people not getting a bonus when they should have done. Mm, um, <laughs> but who knows? I, I mean, I can give you the seven hour lecture if you like, but <laughs> I thought what was really interesting is the response from Mark Littlewood of the IEA who said that the liability of the equal pay claim should come from the citizens of Birmingham and it shouldn't come from a central government bailout. And I, I think something we need to talk about, not on this episode necessarily, but the ideology behind austerity and the aim to shrink the state. And this is very much, it, well, the IA was very influential behind a lot of Liz Truss's policies. And it's a very similar outlook in that you 
I mean, the Republicans talk about starving the beast, don't they? So you, oh, the, the PGA Rourke quip that Republicans say that government doesn't work and then go out and prove it. So uh, you cut central, you you cut local government funding so that local government essentially falls over. And we, you know, we've talked a lot on this podcast about the issues of like local government funding and what happens when their services are cut and you make it impossible for it to work and then you don't deal with the consequences and just like you have a demoralized staff in the prison service just like you have crumbling schools the local government realm was hit massively by the first round of cuts it's where a lot of those early cuts were front loaded onto local government essentially because the Tories knew they could blame Labour councils carrying them out and that's definitely hurt Labour in places like Hartlepool moving on Sunak trying to differentiate himself from Johnson um do you want me to kick off on this uh because we did say that Sunak was going to lead with integrity and honesty and probity and all the other things that you don't associate with Boris Johnson. And while we have notable successes, like being able to do a reshuffle without people tweeting bad stuff or having a crime week without crimes being committed, it feels like Sunak's, certainly from PMQs this week, he's kind of gone back to the... Boris Johnson at PMQs just hated Keir Starmer and was going to throw insults at Keir Starmer like he was uh, Corbyn on Twitter. Yeah, fundamentally, it's because they've got no, they've got no response to any of the the points that are being brought up. Like that, you're that, just that saying is... that because you're a big lefty liberal metropolitan elite lawyer, Steve. I mean, I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> um, some might even doubt me. Doubt calling me a lefty. Um, Sunak has no response to anything, basically. And as a result of that, all he's got left is, lack of a better term, name calling. Um, he can't actually turn around and say, hey, this is how we're going to resolve this issue or this crisis or this problem, because they don't have solutions. They don't have solutions, but they've still got to come up with a response. Like you, you either have to put your hands up and say, mea culpa, this went wrong. We'll work, we're looking into it and we'll, we'll get back to you with what the solution is. But I can't say that because like that that then make, admit, makes forces them to admit they, they've screwed up, which then means any hope that they have of even looking competent goes away. Uh, so all they can do is just try and go on the attack. That's, but then they're dodging the question. That's true. But it's interesting, though, that Sunak literally called Starmer Captain Hindsight, which was always Johnson's favourite. Do you remember Boris Johnson? I do, yeah. That that was always one of his favourite insults for, for Starmer. And and the, and the other thing, so talks, as I've sort of referred to, talks to, uh, refers to him as a lefty lawyer. Um, and also for someone who tried to claim to want to bring honesty back into government, one of the things that Sunak said at PMQs is that Starmer didn't mention the issue of crumbling concrete in his mission speech for launching education. It's literally in the speech. I, I mean, I, there was a video of Starmer doing it and everything. Um, <laughs> so I mean, maybe Sunak will correct the record, but I, I find it really interesting. Yeah, it, it, it's hard because I, I feel like the skill of a politician really is to sort of 
have a response when there's nothing to say. But yeah. it's interesting that, Su- that Sunak came in specifically with that agenda and yeah, actually he's just gone back to Johnson oh, blustering. I, I reckon, like may, maybe not him directly, but someone around uh, Linton, Linton Crosby's like circle of um, advisors and like uh, PR kind of like campaign consultants is probably pushing for it because it, it it's very much the Boris Johnson style, as you pointed out. Boris Johnson style is also very much the Linton Crosby style in a lot of ways. It's deflection. It's the the dead cat on the table. It's all of these sorts of things. Um, and trying to make it sound like Starmer wasn't aware and that Starmer, therefore, himself is is cult, somehow culpable fits in with that, I think. So it would, so I, I suspect they've probably in, very basically just, they've, they've just gone, well, we had our best successes with these guys. Let's bring them back in in some form. And suddenly in the prep for PMQs, Boris Johnson's style is back again. Who can forget the wildly successful 2017 election? Um, but I think that's a really good point. The I think that's where a lot of the stop the boats rhetoric comes from because that was, I think, a big issue. Well, it, it was a big rhetorical issue in Australian politics, and yeah. uh, and Labour's I think taken a bit of a leaf from Australian politics as well. It is uh, Anthony Albanese won a Labour Party. Steve won an election. Um, <laughs> apparently, these things occasionally happen. But I, the, a consequence of that is. Australian politics tends to be quite negative. Yeah. We are definitely going to have a, it'll be a very, very negative general election campaign. There's not going to be a lot of hopey changing nonsense, Steve. There's going to be a lot of mudslinging and worse. So we'll just have to provide the optimism and the hope that will be missing from both, both parties' official campaigns. But yeah, you can kind of see that that negativity in 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 kind of Labour's response to a lot of the the various scandals that have obviously been plaguing the uh, plaguing the government, uh, in the various tweets, I guess we still call them on what is now now X dot com. We do on this uh, podcast, Steve. Yeah, um, like they've been very effective graphics uh, in terms of messaging and kind of like ways to play off various bits and pieces um like most notably i think earlier was it earlier today so today or yesterday um time is a blur in this heat um they the uh, labor press uh team put out a load of graphics which was just kind of it, very much in the same vein of that you know most schools unaffected it was just a a a, a string of you know, you know, most shifts were covered. Most prisoner, pr- pr- prisoners didn't escape. It's all of those sorts of sorts sort, sorts of things where it all just kind of highlights very effectively the various flaws and the various fallouts that there have been for the government. And you know, it, it works great online as a, as a, a way to highlight those specific issues. But it it doesn't. It, you're still lacking. Um, with this sort of stuff, that that core, as you say, positive message in any way, it's very much on the attack, which is which is fine for where we are actually, um, potentially, but it doesn't give you an indication as to what Labour is for. It just gives you an indication of what Labour is against, which is at this point the Tories and the Tories' failure. It's absolutely fine, like, but you. We're getting to the point where we need to be seeing from Labour something positive. 
positive. Like, because like if it, if it like it is entirely possible that we could, that Labour could cruise control into a sizable majority just by how bad the Tories are. That is a very real possibility. What is also a possibility is that you just end up with a load of people just turned off and not engaging when it actually, when it actually comes to the election day, unless there is something a little bit meatier as a more positive message. And there probably are there, there are going to be some things there, and I think that it will be there. I suspect climate um, climate change and various policies that kind of surround that are going to form the brunt, the, the brunt of that. Um, but we're not seeing it at the moment. And there is a danger that in trying to be too cautious with messaging and things, Starmer's team end up just not saying anything at all. Yeah, and ruling out lots of things like wealth taxes that you might need to do. Yeah, in order to actually solve some of the some of the issues, because and then again, you have some very interesting like situations where where Rachel Reeves is given a quote uh, in an interview from an economist, basically saying, "Oh yeah, you know, in order to actually resolve a load of like issues in the British economy, we do need to tax wealth or we do need to increase the uh, the tax burden," and I'm not being able to answer, give a response on that because it's obviously against what the party line is to, to say anything on, but it's her own work that's being quoted. So you have this very, very awkward situation where Rachel Reeves cannot even respond to her own academic work because Labour is afraid of saying anything that could spook the horses, even though what we've got is probably the best opportunity to just say, you can't keep everyone happy. Like, if, if it's a choice between having a, a, a solid majority or a landslide victory, it might actually be better to have a solid majority where you can get stuff done and have an idea about what you're trying to do than have a landslide victory where you don't have anything to stand for. It's it's really hard getting the balance between building the trust to actually be heard and the credibility of being heard, which, let's face it, Labour de Corbyn never really did. Even under Miliband. With having, and balancing that with having an attractive and inspiring yet credible platform yeah. it's 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 a it's a hell of a balancing act that i wouldn't really want to do which is good because i'm not so you've kind of got the uh, two things i'd be really worried about are the amount of those who don't know vote voter volatility is really really high at the moment um I don't think you really have lifelong voters of any particular party anymore, really. And in one way, that's good because it means actually, although Labour needs a big swing to get an overall majority, let alone a landslide, right? It would be a massive, massive swing to get an overall majority. Um, That's still possible because of that volatility, but there's lots of voters who still don't know. And in terms of that case against the Conservatives, I feel that the case has been prosecuted and the public are where they are. They yeah. that doesn't have great ratings. The Liz Trust crashed the economy. The public know that. It was the Tories Black Wednesday moment in this parliament. There is no way back. There's still a chance of a 2010-style result, I think. So yeah. is it 2010? Is it 2015? Is it 97? That's the question. 
Yeah, pretty much. And I, I feel like so much of like how that kind of functions will boil down to what the actual Labour leadership uh, ends up saying between now and the next election and obviously in the actual campaign itself. Because if I, I feel like if there isn't a strong like narrative that's inspiring in some in some way, you will get people to turn out and vote against the Tories to a degree. But you're also going to struggle to actually actually get them well if you struggle to get them infused, then they're not necessarily going to turn out if it's raining. And that's the sort of situation where suddenly I see a couple of different, just a few seats here, a few seats there, you know, end up kind of being knife edge and some go, some just end up going the Tories way because actually that local, that, that sorry, that uh, Labour campaign wasn't quite as active as it needed to be or that, or that Tory MP was a bit more popular than, than, than we thought, you know. We might very well be turning, um, you know, uh, seats with thousand with with tens of thousands of majorities into like swing seats, but that doesn't necessarily matter unless you actually win, uh, win the seat. Like, it, like if we couldn't turn it into a into a winnable seat, now the fact that we it's now it's now that somebody's got a fifty four majority doesn't matter, um, for, because next time round you're probably not going to be in this favourable circumstances. And so the issue is you you have you, so Kirsten was obviously influenced by Tony Blair. I mean the re, the rhetoric is pretty similar. Yep. We've got six, I think, Blair era special advisors in the shadow cabinet. You know things can only get more Blairite. <laughs> but the I think the big one, of the big differences, and again, it's not like Labour went into the ninety seven election with this massively well thought out plan. Like there's lots of stuff that. Um, they had like the independence of the Bank of England, massively big policy, wasn't talked about at all in the election, was kept a massive secret. Um, Tony Blair had a plan to introduce a new department for local government, again, wasn't talked about in the campaign, hadn't been planned for at all. Um, so there's a, there's a, uh, it's very easy to sort of misremember back. Um, but I think there were, and again, Mark Steele in his memoir has a bit of a quip that, you know, in '97 the Labour message was basically, "This country is falling apart. Everything's going wrong, and that's why Labour has an inspiring plan to do nothing." You know, the plan was to keep Tory spending plans, and they did speak stick to them, even though it was very, very cautious. What was there in 1997, which won't be now, is the favourable press coverage. The sun won't black won't back Labour now, um, and it's that more hostile media environment, and it's the social media environment on the back of that. It's that whole, and Tim Bales, um, interesting on this in his book, recent book on the Conservative Party, it's the it's the Tory Party in the media, so it's that ecosystem of Spectator, Twitter, GB News, right wing blogs. A lot of that coverage influences the BBC as well. And so how that plays out in an election campaign, we don't know. And when you've got lots of voters who don't know, who may not necessarily be sold on Labour yet, but know they're anti-Tory, 
who knows yeah but it's kind of hard to know what sort of fear campaign you could run against Keir Starmer given he's not very scary yeah he's he's a man in a, he's a grey man in a suit fundamentally he's, he's not particularly exciting he's not particularly interesting he's a technocrat at heart he's a nice guy who bought a donkey sanctuary for his mum yeah like he's he, he's not it's fun and I think for me, the interesting thing about the reshuffle, which we should probably finish on just quickly because we yeah, we spoke of about 50 minutes, but that's fine. Um, is uh, the way that so it's a, it's a bit of an interesting reshuffle. So we've talked about the sort of Blairite soft left stuff, and there's probably a lot of politics in that we can talk about a different day, but it's also for me, it's the fact that they've started. The Institute for Government is quite good in this. The way they started to mirror current government departments. So one of the things that didn't really make a lot of sense was the resignation of someone like Rosanna Allen Khan, because she's obviously popular in the party. She had a really good deputy leadership race. Um, she's a really good media performer. She's an A and E doctor for heaven's sake. It on paper that one of the parties probably strongest of becoming rising stars now in the resignation letter the reason she says that she was resigning from the cabinet is because Starmer's told her that the minister for mental health wasn't going to be a cabinet level position and that i think is i think it was something that was pledged first in jeremy corbyn's leadership that Starmer kept i'm pretty sure that's right um but what it looks like instead is that the shadow ministers are mirroring exactly the same departments as they are now. So, for instance, Peter Kyle is the new science, innovation, technology shadow minister. Uh, Ed Miliband's now energy secretary in net zero. So it's the same department as it was under Sunak. And in that sense, it makes a little bit more sense because I think the... It, I think it might mean that a Labour government would hit the ground running a bit more. It, if you don't have to start changing those departments, then uh, you it, it's just easier to keep going than chopping and changing, as Tony Blair was doing, like starting new departments. It also means, if hopefully, I assume, this is the last reshuffle before the election, and that should mean there's a good six to 12 months for ministers for shadow ministers to meet with civil servants and do a transition, which is really, really effective, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and you look at some of the more effective ministers who could do stuff in that first new Labour term, people like David Blunkett and Jack Straw, they were both shadow ministers who'd been shadow education and shadow home and then went into it in government. And that wasn't always the case in that 97 parliament. And they were doing stuff like, you know, putting... Or uh, 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 like putting Frank Field as well for minister without knowing what, exactly what he was going to do. And actually having Frank Field and Harry Harman as a deputy, even they couldn't stand each other. And even it happens with Cameron, right? Like he didn't talk with Andrew Lansley about his health performance until Lansley kind of gives, like, <laughs> until yeah. he sees it all blow up. So in that level, it kind of makes sense, I think, on a sort of government's technocracy level. Um, yeah, no, it, it absolutely does make sense in, in, in that kind of way. And equally, for some of the bits and pieces, like say, oh, we don't have a mental health 
minister or, or whatever anymore doesn't even mean like that couldn't be created the minute we are actually in power. It's just that at this point in time, that's under West Streeting's brief because it's health. Like that is just the way of it. But I think what it does do is it stores up problems for later on. So I think it is a problem if you don't have a cabinet or shadow cabinet that covers all wings of the party. I do think that there is no point in having this stupid voting system where we have two big parties that are meant to cover wide spectrums of uh, wide spectrum of opinion. They are coalitions, and therefore they need to be pluralist and broad based. And that's just as true of Labour as it is of the Conservatives. And the other thing I think it does is, are you really going to start that? The, the how, how this is a bit overly dramatic and it's years in the making, but you can tell when leaders fall, the seeds of how leaders fall are planted as they rise and unnecessarily, or you could argue necessarily because you're making the tough, just ruthless decisions you have to, to get into government, but pissing off a lot of people in this way is how you end up eroding support. Because you're not always yeah. going to be 20 points ahead in the polls. You're not always going to have popular poll ratings. You're not always going to have public approval. One hundred percent. No, I totally get. Uh, I, I totally get that. And I think. And I think you are right. And absolutely, if like, I mean, it's the, it's the Labour Party. So like, at some point, there's going to be a Barney. Uh, well, when, when we're in government, that's, there's probably one happening just, right now. Almost certainly. Um, in the Labour Party uh, near you. <laughs> um, but I, I think the thing is, what you've got to got to consider is we are like. With the, with, the, with the strength of the polls right now, Starmer's in a very strong position. Yeah, he may not always be, but he can go. He can pay. He can take that, for lack of a better term, risk of um, kind of playing these sorts of moves right now, and not necessarily bringing in, you know, uh, more of the, the 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 soft left kind of like demoting, like people like Lisa Nandy, who was potentially a leadership rival, and and, and all of that sort of stuff. Um. And he can do it because he's got that strength of positioning right now. Come the once you've won an election, we've just won an election. Like everybody's going to be fine for a bit, and then if it does kind of, if there are issues, well, you've then at least you you've got a, a card that you can play, which is of course I'll bring you in, of course I'll reshuffle these people and get rid of some of these Blairites who actually haven't been doing as good a job as we thought they would, and we'll bring this person in and bring in bring in some new blood and all of that sort of stuff. So it actually gives you potentially more of a hand that you can play in terms of party management later on down the line. Cynically, yes, but it's it's there because like if you if you've got more of a, a broad base, say now, when eventually things go wrong because it's government, something will go wrong. You've then got no retreat position. If if, if you get what I mean, I get what you mean. The problem is you're just gonna still end up then. You will still have pissed off ex ministers. Oh yeah. Like that, 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 that's government though. <laughs> like yes. find me a government that doesn't have pissed off ex ministers. So you might win back backbencher A and give them shadow minister for paperclips, but then you will piss off former minister B and your party management is still really hard. Yeah. But I, I realise we shouldn't worry about this yet because we have an election to win. <laughs> but I, I thought it's a little bit more interesting than, oh, look at the soft left 
what it, what does the soft left even mean steve yeah don't answer that question we we, we can do that as a patreon maybe because um, <laughs> we've neglected you poor champagners but i promise that we we will do something next week we're going to talk about something else if you have any ideas that you want to want to send suggestions about, I'm on Twitter at Paperback Writer. Absolutely. You can, you can also find me on uh, on Twitter, as we're going to call it, um, at, uh, at Acoustic Radical. And James Cramp designed our logo, and Dave Depper produced our theme tune. Fucking good times. Happy plotting. <laughs> <laughs>